everyone, and welcome to the Humanity of Leadership podcast, a modern-day approach to human-first leadership. Hello, everyone. I am Narjas. And I am Amber, and we are your kick-ass leaders, coaches, and hosts. We want to make this podcast where we could take the subject of leadership as we have always known it and level it up with a touch of humanity. Yeah, Amber, I wanted to tell our listeners what we are here to do best which is to have those real life conversations with you, amazing people and leaders and managers out there, where we will riff a little on what we believe leaders need to let go of and learn to lean into by embracing what I call those must-haves that today's employees and teams are seeking. So join us as we talk strategies, share tips, skills, and offer different perspectives to break down those stigmas on what makes it hard for leaders to show up as a full-on human for their teams. Absolutely, Narjis. And we believe that kick-ass leaders are intentional, driven, and focused on the power of the whole person experience in the workplace. Our hope is to inspire you to explore and level up your leadership approach in your life and business by modeling this humanity of leadership through coaching and in sharing our own vulnerabilities with you as we talk all things leadership. Let's dive in. Hello, Narges. How are you doing today? Hey, Amber. Doing very good. Very well. How about you? Good. I am so pumped up for today. We have our second guest and I cannot wait to introduce and have a conversation with you and bring her expertise to this space on imposter syndrome. So without further ado, I am going to introduce Lauren. Lauren Dankowitz is a certified leadership coach, mindfulness practitioner, and product design leader. Through private and group coaching, she designs experiences to help mission-driven entrepreneurs embody their self-leadership, confidently express themselves, and courageously align their lives to their deepest values and callings. Clients describe her coaching style as transformative and eye-opening. And Lauren has been trained through Coactive Training Institute, which is where Nargis and I both attended our coach training. And she is also certified through the International Coaching Federation. So without further ado, I am so pleased and honored to have Lauren with us here. Hi, Lauren. Hey, hey, Amber and Nargis. I'm so excited to be on your podcast and congrats on the podcast launch. Uh, thanks, Lauren. Welcome. Yes, we are so excited to have you here and explore a topic, as I kind of mentioned at the top, about and around imposter syndrome. And for me, imposter syndrome feels like a topic that has become very popular as a talking point in the last few years. I've heard it thrown around a lot. And for me, it's something that I think I felt at certain times, but I'm not quite quite sure. And I'm, I've never really heard anybody describe it um, with such clarity and go through the process of just helping somebody with it. And Lauren is somebody who is, has a ton of expertise in this field. And I cannot wait to dive in and get all of her knowledge and wisdom in this area. So Lauren, would you start and just kind of describe what would you, if you could put a definition or describe the experience, what is imposter syndrome? Sure. So I like to describe imposter syndrome as the experience of feeling inadequate, undeserving, or unworthy of status, achievement, or success that you've earned. 
Um, oftentimes, there's also this fear of being outed as a fraud, and it is known to disproportionately affect high achievers. Um, but in general, there are a lot of different variants of that kind of definition out there. Um, and imposter syndrome sounds kind of like a, a medical diagnosis of some sort, but it was initially um, just kind of articulated by two psychologists in the 70s, and um, they described it as imposter phenomenon because it's really this experience of feeling like an imposter. Wow. Yeah, that's, um, I can't believe it's been around for so long, honestly. It, I mean, it doesn't surprise me, but it feels like something that I've heard of much more in the last few years. Um, is this, and can you walk us through a little bit about your experience? Is this something that you have felt personally, or is this something that you noticed with people you were working with, or kind of how did you um, come to be more familiar with this topic? Yeah. Um, Imposter syndrome and I are longtime friends. <laughs> um, I, I feel like I've experienced it since I was kind of growing up in elementary school, which I know sounds a little ridiculous, but no. um, I grew up in a pretty yeah competitive environment. Um, and there's a lot of comparison going on. Um, I grew up in the Bay Area. And uh, I think just as a result of kind of that competitive and comparative um, environment. Uh, there was this sense that no matter what I accomplished, it just wasn't enough. And like, it didn't really like count. So there was this constant like discounting of quote unquote achievement um, that I, I kind of developed this habit pattern of, um, yeah, of relating to any sort of success in that way. And um, that really carried through, um, you know, through college. And then I realized in the working world, it kind of had followed me there as well. And um, for me, it, it has felt when I look back on it as kind of this like backdrop to my life, like it just feels like it's kind of always there in some in some sort of way. But there are also times where it can really flare up and just feel like it's extra intense. Um, mm. And so there are kind of patterns that I've noticed in both myself and with my clients where um, you can really like feel very intense um, bouts of imposter syndrome. So a lot of that can be environmental, situational, or kind of cultural. Um, mm. And I can go into some of that if you want to. But um, yeah, that's where that's kind of like how I would describe how it's progressed in my life. Um, go ahead, Nardis. I, I was just going to say, I just had a bit of an aha moment there, uh, Lauren, when you took yourself back to, you know, the fact that it started when you were young. You know, it's funny, as much as I am familiar with this work, I personally have never made the connection to how much, um, how relevant it is for when we are young, right? We sort of create this other part of us or this imposter that sort of lives, dwells within us. Um, I see now that even I have a bit of a pattern in, in how, when I sort of think back, uh, it's just a little bit of an aha moment that I never really put thought to, you know, mm -hmm. oftentimes I just relate it to what I'm doing in the moment, right. Or what's coming up that's scary. Mm -hmm. But so much of it is, is obviously related to how, uh, the, how I've sort of imagined every, you know, those moments coming into my life from when I was a kid. Uh, and having to lean into another part of me. That's crazy. Yeah, 
that that resonates with me too just there are these kind of like habit loops that we can kind of fall into yeah. and that's one of the things we explore in um, some of my workshops and group programs of just mm-hmm. like this is a pattern of and you know in our coaching program um, at CTI we explore different parts of our inner world and I like to call this uh, part the imposter critic rather than the inner critic it's mm-hmm. just this particular voice that um, again like you can kind of get to know uh, in, in its own <laughs> in its own way like what does it feel like what sorts of things does it say um what are the emotions associated with it so um yeah that's great yeah and I think it's so interesting for you to talk about how it's been a part of your life for quite a while now and you what you kind of described does seem very um, brought on or almost nurtured by the environment you were brought up in. So you talked a lot about in school as you were growing up and, and competitive nature. Could you talk a little bit more about the ways in which imposter syndrome might show up? And you said there could be um, different environments that bring on like a heavier like support almost for this or like different times in somebody's life. Or could you just kind of talk about that um, a bit more? Sure. Yeah. Um, So I'll start with kind of the environment, there's environmental, situational, and then kind of like cultural and societal. So I like to to break them out in that way. Um, Environmental, there are basically when you're in environments that are kind of high pressure, where there might be shifting expectations, um, very competitive environments to prove yourself, um, kind of focused on the outcome over everything else, those Mm -hmm. kinds of environments can really cause imposter syndrome to flare up. And um, in my experience, even even now, I, I do a lot of work in the tech industry and like a lot of folks who work at startups or leaders in startups. And I find like a lot of those environmental factors can be present in startup environments. So I think it's really interesting that like even just awareness that like these factors can be at play can help us also not feel like something wrong with us like you know internally it's like okay like of course I'm in an environment that's like creating a little bit of this like perfect storm um to feel imposter syndrome um and then on the situational front um oftentimes like moments of change um you know if it's a new a big new project or a new promotion moving into a new career um like those are kind of bigger situational things that can kind of cause it to flare up. But there can also be like micro moments. I like to think of, you know, being in a meeting and there could be like a microaggression or things that can kind of cause it to just flare up for us because it's maybe, um, yeah, hitting on something like that we feel particularly sensitive to. Um, so those are some of the situational um pieces. And in fact, the last time I ran my group program, a lot of the participants were in the process of changing their career. So I feel like that's a really big one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then cultural and societal, I mean, um, there, I think there needs to be more research done in this space, but um, basically bias and racism and um, cultural pressure to um, be uh, basically Sorry, I'm having like a blank out moment, but those can those are definitely part of um, part of this as well. But uh, Dr. Orbay Austin is a therapist uh, based in Canada, and she talks about the double impact um, of kind of 
folks who are underrepresented and also experiencing imposter syndrome. So, um, I, but there does need to be more research in this space um, for how that can show up as well. So, yeah. I was just going to say, I actually understand and relate a little bit as an immigrant myself coming into Canada, um, how relevant that space is to, to sort of feel like, you know, not only that you don't belong or you have to find your way, but that who, you know, finding your sort of that common ground of who do you need to be. So imposter syndrome does show up very much in that space of just understanding, you know, the 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 sort of the diversity of of that in the workplace as well uh, I know for me I, I very much felt that as I was growing up and kind of find, finding my way so I understand the cultural side yeah yeah, yeah. definitely thanks for sharing your experience too Narjas yeah of course um yeah, and it's so interesting for me to think about all of the ways I tend to think of myself as a very confident person when I enter the space. Um, I like to feel like I have a certain energy and bring knowledge and wisdom into spaces, but I think about these moments where I definitely didn't like, and, and there's a lot of um, Brene, Brene Brown calls them fucking first times, FFT. So like <laughs> when you walk into a space and as an adult, we tend to shy away from them because we don't like to feel this uncertainty. As kids, it's much easier to play and to <clears throat> try things. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. We brush it off much quicker. Um, and so when I think about this as well, Lauren, is there anything that has to do with representation? So when we talk about like cultural things, is there anything that and maybe this is research that hasn't been done or really looked at, but is there any connection with seeing representation? So for example, like a woman moving up in the workplace. And so maybe she's the first CEO and maybe she's feeling imposter syndrome. Does that ease or become lessened if there's a lot of other women CEOs she's connected with or that she's seen? Like, is there any sort of connection there as far as seeing other people that either look like you or behave like you? Or is this something that is felt kind of no matter what, and it's always gonna be part of the conversation? Well, I think there is research that shows that most people experience imposter syndrome at least once. So I think it's the stat is like 70 to 80%. Um, so it's certainly, and Merriam-Webster has a really interesting um, <laughs> article about imposter syndrome as like a word to watch. And they describe it as, uh, just part of like being a human being trying to do things in the world. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. I love that. but. On top of that, absolutely, I think uh, representation can reinforce or kind of um, cause it to feel more intense. Um, and again, it kind of goes back to that that double impact um, framing of like if if you're already feeling like an imposter, like you know you're not good enough to be where you are, and then on top of that, you're also not seeing anyone else that kind of looks like you or um, represents like the type of person that you are, whether it be, you know, gender or sexual orientation or um, ethnicity, like there's so many factors to that. Um, it can certainly kind of almost feel like, yeah, like that's confirmation that I don't belong where I am. So I do think that it's super important to continue obviously working to make sure we increase representation um, and it's, it's, 
it's difficult because it's it's inner work that we can do, but it's also certainly an environmental and like cultural thing that we need to address. Yeah, and I think one of what's really coming to mind is it is both of those things. It's and it seems like as a coach, you help people do a lot of that inner work, and also there's work in which you know leaders and managers and workplaces can also support people to assist and to mitigate as much as they can as far as you know providing more representations or resources and things like that so um absolutely this is one of those topics that feels very um like multifaceted which is interesting because a lot of the work we do as coaches is a lot of you know it's it's interpersonal work it's or i mean sorry intrapersonal it's within yourself um, and this has kind of two faces of different ways in which to kind of um, work for it. So my next question then would look at um, a lot of our audience are leaders and managers. So people that have, you know, are in positions of power, they have maybe teams working under them. What are some things that, you know, leaders could either look for or help people or help mitigate these feelings of imposter syndrome with people on their team? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's totally multifaceted, like you're saying. And so as a manager, um, and I'm also a manager of a team, and um, one of the things I like to think about is what kind of environment am I helping kind of create with my team? Is this an environment where people feel like they can be vulnerable and open when they are feeling that self-doubt? Because one thing that I, I know to be true in my experience with imposter syndrome is if I'm kind of silently suffering with it or being um, keeping it to myself, like that can just make it feel even worse and even more isolating. And so I feel like being a, being a manager who is open to having those conversations with an employee, and I've certainly had these with team members of mine who, um, who are feeling it, I think that's a huge, um, a huge way that a, a manager can support someone. Um, and just being vulnerable yourself as a manager, if you're feeling moments of self-doubt or, um, you know, imposter syndrome, even just sharing that can be um, can be a way to kind of um, make it more OK for for folks to share it with you. Um, I mean, other things to look out for, I would just say. So, yeah, there's the kind of the environment that you're setting, the culture that you have with the team. Um, and addressing these types of things in one-on-ones, like looking out for um, signs of either someone making comments that that are discounting like mm. praise, like if you're giving them kudos and great feedback on something that they've done and being, you know, doing following great best practices for giving feedback, being specific about it and being timely. Um, and they seem to like not be fully receiving it, noting that like, okay, someone's like, maybe like not fully internalizing this and really helping support them to internalize it. Um, uh, other patterns that you can kind of might be signs of imposter syndrome can really be like overwork and over preparedness. I know we were talking about this before the call. Um, it's kind of signs of like perfectionism. So just being on of the lookout again like I wouldn't just like assume someone has is experiencing imposter syndrome but that those could just be things to maybe look out for um yeah and if generally if folks are downplaying their abilities or expertise I think that's just another sign too but yeah would love to chat more about that if you have other questions about what managers can do and leaders 
Oh my God, what a fantastic takeaway. That whole concept of not being able to receive, to be around people who don't know how to receive, you know, the, the compliments or the recognition or acknowledgement that you give them. Uh, it, what, a, what a great tip to be able to sort of lean into that as a, is there something more here? Why does this person not feel good enough or able or uh, worthy potentially, right? So, you know, when we as coaches unpack this work with people, we go deep with them into this space as managers and leaders, you know, might be a little tougher to go directly there, right? To go into that deep space. But that tip I think is so powerful to just even be able to recognize it and be aware, how often does that happen, right? And is this person having that difficulty? So then to bring in the practice of giving and receiving in the workplace, oh, lovely, I love it, so good. Hey, Amber, I mean. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think that the few, you know, the, the specifics that you gave as far as examples of what to look out for are so helpful for managers because often you're in that place and you and especially if you're not feeling that in that moment any sort of imposter syndrome and to just be like why can't they receive this feedback it's positive or why are they always like they're spending two hours after the workday to prepare for this meeting i told them it wasn't a big deal or whatever you start to not understand and i think it can feel like there's some dissonance between maybe your relationship with them or not really fully understanding. So I love the ways in which you can kind of keep an eye out for maybe like looking at it from a different perspective and not going to the negatives, but being like, hmm, I'm curious. It seems like maybe there's something else here under the surface. And I also want to make a really clear note, and I pretty sure the other two coaches on the call will agree with me is to not the biggest no, no to do would be to ask somebody in that moment, Hey, it seems like you're feeling or experiencing imposter syndrome. Could you tell me more? That is not the way to approach it. Like you, you, you don't want to diagnose somebody or out somebody um, in a way. So if you are in this position where somebody on your team, even maybe a coworker or somebody and you, you feel like something might be up. It's, it's, you know, come with curiosity, ask questions of things you are either observing or that you've experienced firsthand. Hey, I noticed that you were prepping so much for this meeting. Like, you know, tell me more about that or something like that. Not saying like, Hey, did you have imposter syndrome when you're prepping to present for that meeting? I think that that's a really important thing because that's, um, can feel really overwhelming and alarming to somebody, especially if they are truly feeling that it would be, I would think really off-putting. I don't know. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Curiosity is always like the magic wand of just, just coming with curiosity again, yeah, not, not like accusing anyone of, of anything. Cause yeah, I, I think that that can kind of feel how it's coming across. It's like, we don't want to make any assumptions about someone else's experience or what's going on. Um, coming with curiosity is always a safe, I think a safe approach. Um, yeah. And Lauren, I'm curious to see, was there, did you ever have either a teacher since you mentioned having this, um, experience in both sounds like through high school and maybe in college as well, or in the workplace, um, a manager or a leader that helped mitigate or help or support 
the feelings that you thought, oh, wow, I was, you know, maybe I was feeling imposter syndrome and this action or this version of support really helped me out? Hmm. So honestly, I, nothing's coming to mind right now, but I was also up until, gosh, like even probably five years ago, um, maybe, maybe five or six years ago, I would say I was someone who very much like didn't feel like it was okay for me to ask for help or share that I felt this way. So Mm. I was very much keeping it to myself and, um, making myself quite miserable. I was also (laughs) pretty depressed in college. Like I really drove myself into the ground, like overworking and, um, yeah, just felt like a big negative spiral, um, about it all. So I, I wasn't, I wasn't super open with how I was feeling early on. And I think that, um, it would have been super, and that's part of the reason why I feel so passionate about it now is and to create a sense of community around this, because when you're feeling alone, like it just amplifies all of these feelings and makes it feel even more real. Um, and I know what it's like to feel super alone in it. So yeah, I, I guess that's my first, that's the kind of what comes to me with that yeah. question. Yeah, yeah. And that's really, I mean, you mentioned earlier kind of, um, like retreating or suffering in silence is something that sounds like both you have experienced and other people who quite often um, experience this. And one thing that when you're talking about leaders and managers being vulnerable themselves and saying either if they're feeling nervous for whether it's a presentation or promotion or anything in their position, I think that that's a really um it's a really lovely way of this like change of modern leadership, I think of giving permission to others and showing that we're all humans here and we are, it's okay to not feel hundred percent confident or it's okay to feel nervous or it's okay to feel vulnerable. And I think that that is one, like a starting point in, in Nargis and I, I think almost maybe borderline harp about how vulnerability is really a key to an impactful leader, because one of the byproducts is this permission that you don't even intend to give, but you do give by being an example to the people around you. So this goes to the people above you, your coworkers, and even the team below you um, of saying like, hey, look, I don't have all the answers maybe, or I'm feeling this way. And that then gives an example to others. And I feel like having an example of that, maybe even if that person still doesn't come forward, at least there's something like that might resonate and sit there and be like, okay, somebody else feels this too. And I feel a little less alone. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Amber, I'm just curious if Lauren could um, elaborate on what you just said a little bit by maybe giving our listeners a tip in how to bring that to the table in the moment. So if say a leader has to stand up in a room and run a workshop or present or do something, and they're feeling a little bit of this you know, vulnerability or imposter syndrome, or maybe they feel like they're not worthy or or a little bit of like, you know, uh, that fraud that you talk about as far as, you know, being able to perform or do, how would they actually lean into it in the moment with their audience? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So kind of tactically, how how could a manager or leader say something? Yeah. I mean, 
I think even just naming it. So, uh, you know, um, straight up saying like, if, if they're leading a workshop and getting up in front of the room, like, I'm excited to, you know, have you all here and, you know, to be fully transparent. Part of me is pretty nervous because it's my X, Y, or Z, like, I don't know, my first time running a workshop in a while or this and that. Um, so even just stating it um, uh, can be a powerful tool. I mean, in mindfulness in general, just, you know, naming things even internally can, can be powerful. And so I think bringing that out into like the open and sharing that in this space is something uh, that can, again, support you. Um, and then the other thing that I like to do is it's it's actually kind of a coaching skill, just like designing what we call designing our alliance, which is kind of setting up um, intentional ground rules for how you want to hold the space. I think whether it be a team meeting or a workshop that you're running or something like that, um, you can actually ask for what you need as a leader in the space like or ask for what you're hoping um what kind of environment you're hoping to create, bring people into, into that. So, um, you know, whether it be like miss, you know, uh, let's view mistakes as kind of, um, there's no such thing as mistakes today, or like we're in an experimental mindset or, or whatever it is. I mean, it depends on the, the kind of meeting mm-hmm. you're in or what you're, what you're running. But, um, I think that's another, another kind of tool that you can use to kind of create an environment where you feel supported and kind of um, creating that with others in the room and then asking what they need. So it's like other people might be nervous to be participating in your meeting or whatever it is. So, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's really about speaking to the energy of the space too, collectively. So I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Are there any things that either of you uh, have, kind of you done or think that would be helpful for leaders to do amber do you have anything or do you want me to yeah. you go ahead if something's coming up for you <laughs> so i i resonate uh, really with what you just uh, sort of pointed out lauren for me i very much uh, lean into just naming what i'm feeling and what i'm experiencing i find that to be the most powerful tool in any moment and, um, and so really just sort of coming in and, 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 and just calling it what it is. If it's my first time doing something, I talk about that. I talk about the energy that in the space that I'm in and, um, you know, how I'm feeling and that I'm looking to sort of, you know, for the support and what I need from, from my, you know, employees or, or guests or whoever I'm with. Um, and I'm not ashamed of that. And I think that's one of the things that is sort of the counter to, to uh, that imposter went for me. If I speak to it, if I name it, if I bring it to the table, and then I don't allow shame to override me, right? So I'm not ashamed of it. I'm embracing it. And, and that. there's that there's a space there for me in, in that, you know, th- th- there's a strength of, about our imposter if we learn to embrace them and work with them. So it's like, okay, I know you're here. I know you're showing up and I know you're going to do what you're going to do. But here's the thing. Today, you're just going to be a passenger or a backseat. <laughs> you're going to hit the backseat. And uh, we're going we're gonna to bring, you know, we're going to recognize that you're here, but the attention's not on you today. And that's sort of a little bit of a mindset hack, I guess you could say, that I use. But as far as to our employees, to our teams or our guests, for me, it's really naming it. I mean, 
I think there's something uh, that de-escalates the nervousness or the stress or the energy in the room when we as leaders can, as, as Amber said, be vulnerable for that one moment and just speak to it. So I think naming it for sure is something that I've very much um, found to be extremely powerful. So I'm glad that you, you brought that, that invitation into the space, I think is important. Love that. Yeah. And Nargis, what I, what comes to mind is there's a transparency to you as a leader when you come to that and you're like, Hey, you know, like naming it, putting it out there. And again, this is the human side of leadership. This is what people connect to. People don't want you to be a perfect robot up there. And I know that feels like a falsehood that we try to be this perfect version of ourselves. And really what people relate to is the nervousness. I mean, how many times have we seen a presentation like glitch and everybody laughs and takes a sip of their drink and like that's, you know, okay, cool. And then we keep rocking and rolling, right? That's not, nobody was asking for perfection. We self-imposed that a lot of times. Absolutely. Yeah, um, absolutely. And the other thing that I, I forgot to mention that I think is worthy of mentioning is I always follow that up with what I'm grateful for. So grateful for this opportunity right? Mm -hmm. And this time, or whatever it might be, or grateful that you're all willing to, you know, sort of be present with me as I work this, you know, work through this with you. So if it's a difficult mm -hmm. meeting or whatever, I will actually like literally put that on the table and just say, I'm so grateful for the space that you're providing me today. Yay. And, I, and I think that that also sort of gives that person the invitation, or, or at least and for me, what that does is it tells them my need without me saying, I need you to do this or mm -hmm. be this. <laughs> does that totally. make sense? Yeah. So yeah. I forgot my, my, I think that, that, that also cuts the shame, right? It's no, I'm leaning into this to be grateful. Mm -hmm. so, right. What a cool perspective shift. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Um, cool. I think for me, when I, like, as I had a few more minutes to mill it over, um, I think a really important thing for me when I'm experiencing either big leaps, a new position, or feeling really nervous about something, um, it's kind of creating my community. It's creating my cheerleaders that walk alongside me and they know. So I'm very transparent with them. Like I'm super nervous to do this. And so I've had a few moments of this as I've started my coaching business. And when I get a text from somebody saying, Hey, I know you're leading this workshop for the first time. And I'm just so dang proud of you. Or I get, um, you know, my friends sent me some flowers one time when I, um, I think it was when I got certified and just like knowing that I have a community of support, I think it, it cuts that sense of loneliness or that I'm on my own, which, you know, running my own coaching business can feel very alone sometimes. So it's about having, you know, these key stakeholders and people that really care about my success as well. And I think that that's not as helpful for people who are feeling really in the loneliness space right now. But it's also for me, something that has helped me. And it can just start with one person and saying, Hey, I'm really nervous about this meeting tomorrow. In, and sometimes I'll ask for exactly what I need. Mm. Hey, I need at noon, could you send me a text? you can just send this emoji and I'll know you're thinking about me. Um, and sometimes it's been totally unprompted. It's just, you know, via social media channels or, you know, a private conversation and people will reach out to me. And those moments of like just extra support or extra, just knowing people are in my corner 
um, really make me feel like I have an extra pep in my step for when I'm entering a pretty nervous space. So I think that for me, it's, um, you know, and I will be transparent too. If I'm feeling nervous in the moment, I'll say, oh my gosh, like, here we go. And, you know, I'm excited to try. I'm a little nervous and things like that. But that buildup of having that support behind me for me um, personally is something that really helps push me through nervous moments and kind of big leaps. Mm. Awesome. Love that. Like, and yeah. both of these women on this call have been part of those texts and that support. So I'm super grateful for your support. Yay. And um, <laughs> we love supporting you, Amber. Yeah. Oh. Totally. <laughs> and vice versa, you. because you've been an amazing support to me too. Just speaking, speaking for me. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Every day, <laughs> every day she shows up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you gals. Um, and so Lauren, I would love to hear a little bit. I am, we've talked about your experiencing of imposter syndrome, and I'd like to hear about how you help clients in this space. And I know that you also have a program. Can you elaborate on kind of what that looks like and how you help people experiencing imposter syndrome? Sure. Yeah. So, um, the way, the first part of the question is how, uh, how I work with clients yeah. on this. Yeah. So, um, I guess on a tactical level, I work with, uh, one on, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching and of course that can cover imposter syndrome and many other things. Um, uh, I do workshops with teams and organizations and I also run multi-week group programs. Um, and I'd say just in, in summary, like each of those obviously takes some slightly different forms, but it, with mm -hmm. regards to imposter syndrome specifically, a lot of, a lot of it is building awareness around kind of what I was calling earlier that imposter critic or kind of just imposter syndrome in general. What does it feel like? What does it sound like? Um, have, uh, how does it, what's the impact it's having on your life? Um, we do a lot of inner values work to kind of ground in, um, Narjas, I love what you said earlier about gratitude as like a value. So we do values work to really understand kind of and meet other parts of what's important to that individual. Cause sometimes when we're experiencing imposter syndrome, it can feel like it swallows us up. And that's like, all we are is like this fraud <laughs> or like this, this, we can kind of feel swallowed mm. up by it. And so, and then what we do is really look at, um, a lot of these tools and techniques to actually shift from that inner imposter critic to kind of that values kind of grounded in values, um, and inner wisdom, uh, approach to life. And so a lot of it is kind of perspective taking. Um, and um, again, the, the, there's so many tools, like, I, I feel like I could just nerd out about it for, <laughs> for another hour, just like going into like the specifics around it. But at a high level, that's, that's kind of like the, the arc of the work that we do around imposter syndrome specifically. And mm -hmm. also that is all kind of usually done in a sense of community, unless it's I mean, one-on-one -on -one coaching is obviously very personal, but um, with the workshops and the group programs, I think that sense of community and connection with others. So you, again, don't, don't feel that loneliness and realize how, oh my gosh, other people are totally feeling the same way. And I'm not like alone. I, even though like you can yes. know you're not alone, but it still feels so much like you are. And so it's just, you know, a lovely, a lovely experience to be in community with others in that way. Oh God, that's gorgeous. Yeah. So true. So true. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about 
how coaching can take on so many different forms. Like we've talked about, you know, one-on-one and in-group settings. And I think that this sounds like I didn't even realize how important it would be for people experiencing this to have that sense of community as they're diving deep into something that's likely affected them for a long time. Um, And to be able to see that it's not only knowing that somebody else is experiencing it, but then maybe hearing some of their perspective or some of their ahas or breakthroughs and being able to champion them through it and them champion you and to have that connected experience feels so special in a way that I didn't really think about prior to this call. So Mm, excellent. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And Lauren, do you, um, like when you run things in companies, is this a lot, like who do you usually serve? Is it anybody in the organization or do you do a lot of like manager training or like new leaders or what is that? Who is your, you know, do you think can benefit the most or is it everybody? I mean, (laughs) I do feel like it's everybody in these different levels. Um, And I have supported uh, various, like, whether it be like individual contributors on a team to managers to, you know, the high, high level leaders at at companies. Um, So it really does vary. I think um, what I've also noticed, I've done some workshops with um, folks from different companies that come together. So, you know, I think depending on the culture of a given um yeah a given company or team like it may or may not feel comfortable to actually like hold that space together so I find that bringing people together from different companies can be really lovely so they don't Mm -hmm. necessarily know each other and there isn't that like you know um that as much pressure I think in some ways because there is there is that balance like you want to be vulnerable at work but there is there is a a balance there too, to be struck around like, okay, well, how, how vulnerable can I feel like I can be and still be safe in my job? Like, that's always, I think, a question in the back of people's minds. So um, anyway, so I'd say it's, it's, it spans different kind of job levels and job titles. um, And then it can also kind of be done at a company in an employee group or just across different companies. I feel like I want to say, I find this topic probably one of the most difficult topics to be vulnerable with in the workplace. And um, what I mean by that is oftentimes imposter syndrome for an employee, I think in my experience anyway, has shown up, you know, at a time where it makes them feel like um, they're a failure if they talk about it, right? Like it comes in that space of, Um, you know, again, they don't want to admit that they feel they're not good enough for it, right? They want you to believe they're good enough for it, but they don't know how to lean into it. So let's say they feel they want to come and talk to their boss about a raise or a promotion, or they want to level up in some way in their workplace. But when their imposter is so strong, right, and it can really sabotage so much of their initiative, that deep down inside, they feel like, you know, they, they're, they're so scared to admit that they maybe don't have all of what it takes, but they really want to lean into it. Um, that, that if they, if they show up vulnerable to talk about it, like, what are they going to say, for example? Uh, well, I don't really know if I can do the job, but I really want to try to do the job. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Yeah. Oftentimes it can deter them or keep them away. So I don't, I guess the question I have is how, how do you 
help somebody understand that you don't have to lean into it being fully vulnerable and as in, you know, um, saying that you feel like you, you're failing or that you're not capable, but rather the other, the other side of it, which is, you know, here's where I want to be, but here's what I feel is holding me back. Like, how do you have that conversation to counter that imposter? Oh my God. I feel like what you just said was the perfect, like oh. a perfect way to approach <laughs> it. I answer my own like, question? <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like there's, I mean, I'm not trying to evade the question. I do feel like it no. depends. Like it so depends on kind of what, who, what kind of person is your manager? What kind of relationship mm. do you have with that person? Like, you know, there could, it could be not safe to talk about this sort of thing at work because people could take advantage of it. Like, I don't know, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be too specific about like the advice there. Um, but cause I do think it depends. Um, but I think, um, focusing on, I do, I do always find that for me, at least journaling, talking with a coach, I mean, obviously biased because I love coaching, I coach myself, <laughs> but yeah, we're all coaches here. Um, but coaching, um, journaling, but basically getting kind of these, whatever the, um, kind of the way that imposter syndrome is showing up for, for me in a given moment, um, or a given situation out there and like processing it, coming up with kind of that empowered perspective of like maybe how to kind of work with it that helps prepare me for conversations where like you're just mentioning. Um, so I think it's, it's nice to orient and kind of explore and process, turn towards it. And like, yeah, then, and then feel more, um, almost don't want to use the word prepared because it's more just that you're oriented and grounded um, when you're actually addressing things yeah. uh, that can be supportive. Yeah. It sounds like it's about a, a process of feeling ready. Right. So I think what I'm hearing is vulnerability doesn't have to start in the workplace. Vulnerability can start with you making, you know, sort of recognizing I have this or this is inhibiting me or keeping me from moving forward. And maybe just starting with having that conversation with someone as a coach or some a mentor, whichever that can support you and doing the work to recognize, you know, who do you need to be? How do you, again, make that approach? Uh, I understand there's many variables to it, but yeah. So it's, it's to me, the power there is just recognize it's not you. There's not, nothing wrong with you, mm-hmm. but that there's something that, how do I, you know, sort of tackle this part of me that is keeping me from moving forward? So, yes. Yeah. 100%. Okay. Okay. So that's a good tip. Good tip for our managers out there too. Hmm. Yeah. And I also, and something that's coming to mind that I feel like, you know, maybe could help as well as like, as a manager or leader, when you have somebody on your team and you see great potential in them and and maybe they almost like self-sabotage where they kind of stop before the greatness that you know that they possess of saying like, of creating a safe place for them to try and say, you know, like making sure that they, they know that you believe in them and that they are supported, whether they fall or whether they fly type of a thing and just helping them create opportunities um, where they, you know, even if 
they're not sure they're ready for the next step, but you can kind of support growth opportunities and moments for them in a really safe way and understanding. And maybe that's kind of part of the prep. So if it's their first, you know, presentation, I'll just keep going back to this example, like you kind of walk through it or say like, this is the, this is where I start and this is my process and then doing it. And then maybe there's a debrief afterwards where you say like, how did it go? How did you feel? Um, you know, were there any nerves or what do you think is your biggest takeaway or things like that? And having kind of a full fledged experience for them where you then give them like little tastes of other things that they could do mm-hmm. rather than just letting them be comfortable um, where they are all the time and just letting them, you know, whether it's just be really mm-hmm. productive in the back corner or something like just kind of maybe, and it's not, again, always a presentation, but giving them opportunities to taste and dip their toes in other things to see if they like it or if they want to do more of that type of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. I feel like that's, yeah spot on, especially for, it's one of, I think the most powerful parts about being a manager is that you have the opportunity to help, you know, bring forward, um, the best in people and kind of their potential. And there's so many different ways to do it. I love the example that you just gave. Um, Thank you. And, you know, Lauren, as we kind of wrap up here, is there anything else that you want to put into this space that's either important about imposter syndrome or anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to mention before we kind of close this up? Hmm. I don't think, I don't know. I feel like we covered a lot. Um, I had a blast talking with both of you about this topic. Uh, it was a treat. I was nervous showing up for, <laughs> for the interview and you both made it um, such a, a lovely space. So I think that, I mean, it sounds so cliche and we've talked about it already, but like, you know, if you're experiencing imposter syndrome, you are not alone. And um, so many of us feel it in the background. Um, so yeah, I would just say there's so many tools and techniques that you can use um, to kind of work with it. Um, Everything from kind of building that awareness, mindfulness, there's many mindfulness-based approaches, um, finding your community, um, and I believe in you, so. Lauren, your expertise and wisdom was such a treat to have on. I know that Nargis and I really appreciate your time today. And where can people find you? I know you have your own program that you run, you run workshops and let people know where they connect with you. Sure. So uh, my name is a little difficult to spell, but uh, my website is laurendankowitz.com and uh, it'll be in the show notes. And uh, there you can sign up for my newsletter. I'm also on Instagram at life design with Lauren, although I kind of pop on and pop off of there. <laughs> so um but yeah, I'd say those are, and you can of course find me on LinkedIn at Lauren Dinkowitz. Would love to connect with you uh, just to chat about imposter syndrome, or if you're interested in signing up for any sort of future workshops or group programs, would love to have you on the, the mailing list. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Everybody go find Lauren, connect with her, hire her, get in her corner, tap into her wisdom. She is so amazing in this space. I've seen it firsthand the transformation that she can have with people. And again, we appreciate you. Thank, um, thank you so much for being here. And thanks everybody for tuning in and everybody take care out there. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Nargis and Amber. This is so fun. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye.
Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in today. We are so happy that you joined us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review wherever you listen and tell some other kick-ass leaders you know about us. We'd love to continue the conversation on LinkedIn or check us out online at humanityofleadership.com. Take care and we'll see you next time. Thank you.